It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to Good Outdoors Show, Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for joining me this morning as we kind of move into that beginning period where winter is slipping away and spring isn't quite yet here. The ice gets kind of soft and dangerous. There's not enough snow. And for those of us in the Midwest, we know about that ice, snow, whatever you want to call it, storm that came through this week. I want to look ahead. I want to look ahead to March. Specifically, I want to look ahead to sort of the period of March 15th to March 25th, the Platte River, Kearney, Nebraska. It is the gathering of the largest concentration of sandhill cranes on Earth. And as we sit here moving through the end of winter, there are some things in early spring that are really very much looking forward to and traveling to see. And as we hopefully move out of this COVID situation, traveling to Nebraska is a must, if you can do it. Many of you listening in the in the audience this morning are within easy driving distance, today's driving distance of, of Nebraska and the Platte River. I would encourage you to, to take a couple days and go see the spectacle that is, frankly, the spectacle of, of all bird gathering spectacles. The Sandhill Cranes on the Platte River, the International Crane Foundation, which is I think to be given a lot of credit for bringing back cranes and the awareness of cranes worldwide. George Archibald, the founder of the International Crane Foundation, will be leading a, uh, a tour of that for two days in the middle of that time period. Um, and if you want to learn more about it, I go to the International Crane Foundation website. Um, there is no greater crane expert. He's on the air many times here on the Great Outdoors Show. No greater crane expert than George Archibald. And frankly, the International Crane Foundation is one of the truly, really good conservation groups uh, in the world. It's headquartered up in Baraboo, Wisconsin, not that far from WGN Studios here in Chicago, and many of you listening. But the why do I suggest going to see the cranes in Nebraska? Because it, it, it's a spectacle unlike any, any that exists. And at some point, you'll hopefully have the opportunity to see the new IMAX film, Wings Over Water, which in part is based upon cranes. And it it has some stunning, absolutely stunning footage of the crane migration and their gathering on the North Platte River in Nebraska. But it's, it's an experience where, particularly with all the things we're dealing with in the world, you can go and see these you know, almost prehistoric birds. They're among, cranes are among the oldest birds known to be in existence in the world today, genetically. Uh, the cries of the cranes, when you hear tens of thousands of sandhill cranes sitting on the gravel bars on the Platte River, those, that cry of the crane will, will frankly, uh, be hard to take out of your, your head for a long time. Your ears will reverberate with it. But they're the most beautiful birds, and they do this incredible mating dance. And even though it's been captured on film and captured perhaps like never before with IMAX or wings over water, um, to see it in person 
can't replace that. So I, I encourage you, if you have a couple of days, you can check in with the Nebraska Department of Fish, Wild, Fish Wildlife and Parks. You can check in with Nebraska Tourism. You can check in with Kearney, Nebraska, which is kind of the, the epicenter of the whole thing, but it does run for a couple hundred miles up and down the Platte River uh, to see if the birds are there, if they're on time, when they're peaking. Uh, I advise doing that most certainly before you go, but if you pick between the 15th and the 25th of March, uh, you're going to be pretty much in that bullseye. They come earlier, they stay later, but the, the greatest mass will be there then. And, and if, if you go and see, I'd love to hear from you about it, what you thought. And if you've been there, I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, it, it's something that if you love the outdoors and you love birds, it happens every year. And it, it, it's a reawakening. And as we sit here now, February, thinking about winding down. Um, we're looking forward to the reawakening of spring and all the hope that it brings and the flowers, the blossoms, the birds, everything that spring brings. Spring hopes, hopes, hope springs eternal, as the saying goes. And going to the Platte River in Nebraska, that'll put a real spring in your step. It's, it's something that's, that's magnificent. Moving from the Platte River of Nebraska to um, a kind of an interesting subject, which has, I think it's interesting, I hope you will, which really has profound implications. It was announced this week by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that we took in a record. $1. billion is going to be distributed by the Fish and Wildlife Service through the Wildlife and Sport Fish Restoration Program, which is funded by excise taxes on our hunting, shooting, fishing equipment, including ammo and boat fuel. Uh, this shatters the record back, set back in 2015. So if you think about that, a billion and a half dollars is going to the states. Um, a huge part, a huge part of that, $1.1 billion um, was the, uh, excuse me, the previous record uh, was in, in 2015 at $808 million. Texas will receive the largest amount of this funding. 71 million, followed by Alaska, 66 million. So we got 130 odd million of the 1.5 billion taken by those two states. Um, and in its history, this fund has distributed more than $25.5 billion to the states for conservation and recreation projects. It is the driver in providing Illinois and Wisconsin, Iowa, all 50 states with funding for boat ramps, with funding for the advancement of, of hunting and fishing, with funding for land purchases. It's the big deal. And Pittman Robertson funds are the primary driver behind this, which are the excise tax on the sale of firearms and ammunition, which is, so many of us know, there's, there's never been a time like this. You, they're, they're simply, they can't make guns fast enough, and we can't make ammunition fast enough. Uh, and so sales are just through the roof. But one question I have is we're in unprecedented times, and so much of the sale of firearms has been to individuals who want to have a weapon in their house to protect themselves. These aren't purchased by people who are going to go to a target range and shoot clay targets or shoot targets, and they aren't purchased by people who are going to go pheasant hunting or quail hunting or rabbit hunting or duck hunting. These are purchased by individuals who have no interest in hunting. They have interest in self-protection. 
And, and so we, as those people who love the outdoors, are benefiting by this windfall. But it's a serious distortion to think that this is sustainable or that it's being driven by those of us who love the outdoors. And, and so the states, which are happy to get this incredible amount of money, an unprecedented amount of money, um, are really, in a way, looking at perhaps a false, and I've said this before, uh, a false stream of revenue. When Americans stop buying guns for self-defense protection in their homes, the amount of taxes going into the Pittman-Robertson Fund is going to collapse. And yet, as states always do, they become addicted to the revenue. And one of the things that's happening, which I think is really, really dangerous, my view, is that now Pittman-Robertson funds can be used to for this program, which you've heard me call, call before, called R3. R3 is this program that um, is designed to recruit, retain, and reactivate new hunters and recreational shooters to the sport. Um, it's a program I've spoken a lot about because I think it's a program that's really great to have as a goal, but I also think it's a program that um, is not very specific on what its goals are. We, we want to be able to sustain the future of hunting. What does that mean? So Pittman-Robertson funds are now going to be diluted. Instead of being concrete, we built that boat ramp. We purchased that land. We built that levee. That land is managed for the future of hunting and fishing or fishing or hunting individually. Now we can say, X millions of dollars was spent on R3, and we have really no way to measure. There's no quantitative, quantitative measuring system set up. I, I'm worried we kind of have you know, put a hole in the dike, and the water, in this case, the money is going to just kind of find its way through, and it's going to just disappear into this morass of bureaucracy. And, and so I think we need a serious discussion on the funding of R3 with PR funds. Uh, Congress has approved it, so I guess you could say on one hand it's a fait accompli, and of course the states loved it, and the conservation groups all love it. But do we as sportsmen and women think it's a great way, it's a good way to have PR money spent? I don't know that anyone ever asked a customer on this. We'll have much more on the coming months. It's a really big issue. R3 is growing all over the place, but growing in what direction is the question. We haven't, we haven't identified the central goal of R3. I think we need to identify the central goal of this program, R3, which states are hiring coordinators for to reactivate, retain, and recruit hunters. If that's the goal, what, what's our current status? How many do we have now? What's success? There are all kinds of questions a lot of you listening could ask in a hurry that has not been, that don't appear to have been thought through in the context that we, um, we need them to be, particularly when we start throwing tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars at it. I'll be back in just a minute with much more on the Great Outdoors show. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN, and first a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. 
The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter here on WGN Radio. Hope you're enjoying the show. Headline came across from the Wild Salmon Center. Two huge wins for Russian salmon. Russia gains two vast new protected areas. That headline comes in virtually the same time that the headlines around the world are talking about Russia and the Ukraine and what's going on there. And the areas that are being protected primarily through the work of Deuteronomy and the Wild Salmon Center are on the far east of, of Russia. So about as far away from Ukraine as you can get. But it struck me that on one hand, one of the great conservation leaders in our country, Guido Rar, is brokering a deal with the Russian government to save 3.7 million acres in the Tugar and Mia River watersheds of eastern Russia for the future of wild salmon. It's an area that's, in, that's absolutely undeveloped. It does have extensive natural resources in it. But the Russian government is willing to set this aside, and the, and the, and the release goes on, and my friend Guido Rara told me, this shows the possibilities you know, of cooperation and joint achievements between U.S. and Russian scientists and conservationists. It has nothing to do with politics, but it has everything to do with saving a very important part of the geological ecosystem of the ecosystem for salmon, which are one of our great species of the world. And the fact that at a time when policy and governments around the world have great angst over what Russia is doing, and, and absolutely deservedly so, the scientific community and a small group of conservationists were able to, to pick off a, uh, a pretty big win. This did not happen overnight. It's been working worked on for years. And let's hope it holds. One of the things that I know from personal experience dealing in the conservation world for a long time is a deal with the Russians, we like to think we put things aside for perpetuity, which is a long time. Perpetuity in Russia has a different meaning. It, it means we'll do the best we can, but things change. And if things change to the point where we want to do something else, we will. So there's really no meaning that I've ever known to perpetuity when you do a deal with the Russian government on conservation of lands. It might hold for 25 years. It might hold for 50. It's not like the deals we do in the United States where you give a conservation easement and it's in perpetuity. And as I've said often and just in a moment ago, that's a long time. So it, there's a different conservation philosophy. I think we ought to take whatever we can get 
and realizing that the, that the Tugar and Mia River watersheds are, are really important to the salmon of the world, of the Pacific. Uh, and it's 3.7 million acres. That's a lot of land. We ought to call that a win, particularly at a time when it seems like nothing else with Russia is going very well. So this is scientific. It's about conservation. And I can only hope that if we're talking about this way into the future, that this in fact holds. That if they don't find a bunch of copper or uranium or whatever they find in these places, that they suddenly, like the pebble mine, and they suddenly find rare materials and they want to mine them, and they just tear up the agreement. So enjoy the success while we can. And most of all, I think the takeaway here is that scientists and conservationists can work together for a common good and the better good, even if politically and otherwise we have countries that are diametrically opposed. And as I said a moment ago, I certainly understand why, and I'm not condoning for one second what's going on, because I would never do that. But it's nice to know science is succeeding, and it makes me think, just for a moment before I sign off the air, long, long time ago, I mentioned at the beginning of the show Dr. George Archibald and the International Crane Foundation. It is not well known, in fact, I think it's very, very few people know this, that George Archibald went to China before Richard Nixon went to China. And Archibald was really one of the pioneers in bringing, opening up China and introducing China to the West. And he did it through a bird. He did it through the cranes of Siberia. And look what's happened over the past now 50 years as a result of that. Conservation and scientists first brought China and the United States together. And a little bit of that's taking place right here now with Gideon and Russian scientists. And so maybe there's hope. I hope so. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week with much more of the great outdoors. And when I do, I'm going to talk a little bit about some people who are running for Congress who maybe they shouldn't be if we care about conservation interests. And also some of the things that are going on in the Boundary Waters, one of our favorite destinations in the Midwest, that, um, that's very good news. Thanks for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.